Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. It took decades to properly recognize Vietnam veterans. They bore much of the burden for the war's unpopularity back home. Fortunately, we now have a day dedicated to honoring Vietnam-era veterans. Today marks the day in 1973 when the last U.S. combat troop withdrew from Vietnam. We'll get perspectives from Native veterans who served during the Vietnam War. We'll also take your calls to honor veterans. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The first group of Canada's Indigenous delegates and residential school survivors have met with Pope Francis in Rome. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, they're hoping to secure an apology for the role of the Catholic Church in Canada's residential school system. It's a week-long event, with members of the Métis Nation and Inuit having met with the Pope on Monday. The president of the Métis National Council, Cassidy Caron, says she asked the Pope to join her people on their journey for truth, reconciliation, healing and justice, adding that he acknowledged that as his personal responsibility. Caron was joined by several residential school survivors who told the Pope their stories. The Catholic Church operated scores of the government-funded residential schools across the country. As many as 150,000 Native children were forced to attend the schools, thousands were abused, many died. Natan Obed is the president of the Inuit Tapiret Kanatami. He also met with the Pope and says an apology is immensely important. Apologies matter, and they might not be the same thing to every single person who is being apologized to, but really the idea is that on a human level, the church acknowledges the human rights abuses, the pain and suffering, the intergenerational trauma, and cares enough about indigenous people to make that apology even if some people won't accept it. In addition to a public apology, delegates want the church to return indigenous artifacts and land, provide funding to help survivors heal, and provide access to church records about the schools. This visit comes after as many as 2,000 possible unmarked graves were found at several former residential school sites in the past year. First Nations delegates are scheduled to meet with the Pope on Thursday. Expectations are high that the Pope will travel to Canada at some point to make an apology. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The philanthropist Mackenzie Scott has announced gifts to hundreds of organizations, adding up to nearly $4 billion. Alice Fordham reports one gift is set to transform a New Mexico nonprofit serving Native American elders around the country. The National Indian Council on Aging, headquartered in Albuquerque, received a gift of $4 million from Scott, who is the former wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Executive Director Larry Curley of the Navajo Nation says the gift was astounding. I'm excited. The staff are excited. And it's, quite frankly, it's the largest donation that the organization has ever received in its 40 years of existence. Curley says the group is brainstorming how best to spend the money to further his organization's work of supporting elders from native communities across the country. He says one issue that's a priority is communication in places where internet-based support isn't an option. We're looking at the possibility of creating a 24-7 crisis call center for our tribal elders. 
Curly says the gift opens up horizons for the organisation, which strives to help a group with high levels of poverty and stark healthcare disparities compared with the wider population of the US. For National Native News, I'm Alice Fordham. President Biden's fiscal year 2023 budget request invests in Indian country to address missing and murdered indigenous people and help address gender-based violence. The budget proposes more than $600 million in tribal public safety and justice funding at the Interior Department to continue to address MMIP in collaboration with the Justice Department. It also includes $35 million to support underserved and tribal communities for culturally specific programs to address violence against women and nearly 70 million for the FBI to address violent crime against children in Indian country. Other areas for tribes in the budget, which was released Monday, include healthcare, education, housing, and broadband. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ameren, the 100% tribally owned insurance partner working with tribal governments and enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian country. Info at Ameren.com. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Nearly as many Native Americans served in the military during the Vietnam War as did during World War II. And as in World War II, the vast majority of Native service members were volunteers. Native veterans are always held in high regard. At the same time, they face disparities and difficulties in accessing some benefits. All Vietnam-era veterans are elders now, and many have health care requirements. Today, we'll check in with Native Vietnam-era veterans and hear their stories. We'll find out their unique perspectives and needs compared to veterans who came before and after their time in history. And as always, you're more than welcome to join us. Get in on today's discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from Lawton, Oklahoma, is Michael Kuhn. He's a Mission 22 steward of the War at Home Memorial. He's also the Region 5 Commander for the 39 Tribes in Oklahoma, a Vietnam War era veteran, a Department of Veterans Affairs VFW Lifetime member, and a former board member of Rolling Thunder. He's Muskogee Creek. Welcome to Native America Calling, Michael. Thank you for having me today. Also joining us from Lawton, Oklahoma, is Tanisha Mitchell. She's the president of the Broken Arrow Intertribal Veterans Association. She is also Muskogee Creek. Welcome to the show, Tanisha. Hi, thank you. And joining us from Seminole, Oklahoma, is Walter Larney. He's a Lance Corporal in the Marine Corps. He's absentee Shawnee and Seminole. Walter, great to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Glad to have me. Absolutely. Michael, let's start off with you. You're actually at an event today. Can you tell us about it? Yes. 
Yes, I will. I have a gentleman here named Block Video, and I'll let, let him talk to you because we're coming out here supporting his actions for our Vietnam vet. Uh, never got the recognition when we came home. So I'd like for Block to uh, explain to you what this event uh, means to our vets. Okay. Ross, welcome to the show. Okay, yes. It's um, Bloss. My name is Bloss Presidio. I'm uh, a member of the Kiowa tribe out here in Western Oklahoma. And uh, it will take about uh, maybe about 30 minutes of your time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I am a Marine Corps Vietnam veteran, 1968. I was over there. And um, I'm a member of the adult uh, Black Leggings Warrior Society, and I'm also a member of the VFW, an officer, and also a a, a, a member of a, a group that was created about three years ago, 2019, uh, uh, the Kiowas, Comanches, and Apaches Veterans Organization, and I'm also an officer in that. And uh, what we're doing is we're recognize we're hosting a uh, commemoration uh, ceremony, and the um, uh, today. And, and uh, regards to the National Vietnam War Veterans Day, and um, I briefly, from what I understand, I don't know all about it, but um, uh, uh, there was a, a special commemoration program uh, that was started uh, within the Department of uh, DoD, Department of Defense, and to uh, to get uh, 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 allow uh, veterans organizations or organizations. Throughout the United States, to uh, to host one of these events to uh, uh, commemorate uh, and honor our uh, uh, Vietnam veterans, not just our Vietnam veterans, but their uh, the uh, the families of those that uh, were killed in action over there, and also the family the families uh, that uh, of the ones that have uh, passed on since that time, since their service okay. in Vietnam, and so okay. that we recognize their. Uh, wives and uh, spouses and they're, they're also their children so we're going to have a uh, hour and a half uh, 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 commemoration and after that uh, we're going to have a short uh, in our own uh, Indian way we're going to have a, a, a little a, a, a little da- a powwow a little, uh, okay a little okay well Voss uh, it's this sounds like a, a wonderful event that you have planned today and uh, you're very active in, in veteran affairs. What is it that inspires you to continue to serve your military comrades? Well, um, I've got uh, my family. I've got uh, my brothers and sisters were uh, our veterans. I've got two brothers, an older brother, a younger brother that were also Marine Corps veterans, Vietnam. And then I have an old, older sister that's uh, a retired Army National Guard that's a veteran of the uh, uh, Persian Gulf War. And uh, so uh, that, and then uh, as I've uh, uh, found uh, in my later years, my uh, uh, great grandfather was a, a, a prisoner of war in St. Augustine, Florida, after the, uh, at the conclusion of our, uh, of our uh, the Red River War of 1874 here in the, you know Southern Plains, and he was incarcerated at uh, with a, a POW along with the Kiowas, Comanches, Cheyenne uh, Arapahoes. Uh, at uh, Fort Marion, St. Augustine, Florida. So, uh, and then he was also my great grandfather, Eco. He was a Mexican captive of the Kiowas, and he he was uh, also a member of uh, one of our warrior organizations called the Kiowa Black Liggins. From and from and so that uh, 
that's uh, the, uh, the one of the reasons. And then plus my service in Vietnam right. I was with the unit that had, that had experienced. Uh, uh, I guess you could say uh, a lot. Uh, well, uh, I had to research it, and I was in, my unit lost uh, rough about seventy nine. Seventy-nine percent wounded in action, and uh, roughly ten percent KIAs. So uh, we we suffered a, a lot of casualties in the short amount of time my battalion was in Vietnam, and from in, in ni- seven months in 1968, and we suffered a uh, hundred and uh, roughly uh, all together there was 142 men that were killed in action in my unit, and uh, and. Over between wow. five and six hundred that had to be medevac because of wow. uh, wounds. So that's Plus, that's uh, just so that's 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 why I um, I um, want to serve my veterans, fellow veterans. Sure, sure, yeah. And it, it sounds like you come from a long history of military service, and those statistics you just shared about the the number of uh, of um, other. Uh, military personnel that you served with that were killed in action or, or wounded. It's just, just staggering. Voss, can you explain to our listeners, what is the difference between a Vietnam War veteran such as yourself and a Vietnam War era veteran? Okay. Yeah, that's uh, a, a Vietnam War. Uh, the difference is that uh, a, a one um, had, one went over and served in country in Vietnam, and the uh, other is that the others, uh, other is that uh, they they were in the military service uh, uh, throughout the United States or uh, in um, um, you know in the, uh, on elsewhere throughout the world during that time. That's that's the uh, uh, only difference, and, that, and that's uh, also just like uh, uh, you know, like in the uh, Gulf War. You know, Desert Storm, Desert Shield. So, you know, there, there's always a, a kind of, you know, we distinguish between, you know, who, who was actually there and who wasn't. Okay, and Vlas, you know, go, thinking back to to when you joined the military, um, what got you to go in there and enlist? Was there any hesitancy about joining the military and, and going to Vietnam, or were you were you all in, just just really excited and <laughs> eager to serve? <laughs> Well, you know, this is a, it's it's a, this is what happened. I was in high school, and I remember, uh, you know, getting the, the Daily Oklahoma newspaper and found out a war was going on. And you know, um, strangely, uh, I wanted to go. I, I said a war is starting in my lifetime because uh, you know I had grown up with, uh, uh, and uh, you know the men that in my that in my community you know world war ii veterans and korean war veterans so i heard their stories and so um and then a couple of years later after i graduated cut out of high school went to college and uh, in fact uh, i was uh, drafted but i joined I, I joined the marine corps because my older brother was a marine and my younger brother was a marine and so um you know and i found through the years that you know our indian veterans of, of that time, you know, um, we joined, uh, which is, um, you know, you look at it as opposed to somebody not wanting to go in, you know, and uh, believe me, I know from the back then there was a lot of people that were joining our uh, 
uh, other armed forces that uh, were, uh, you know, they they didn't have to go. So, you know, that that kind of, that kind of the, that uh, people that did those things, they that kind of get lost in the wash these days. But I remember those those uh, um, those mm-hmm. times. You know, like they 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 were the roles were so filled up. Say with the Oklahoma National Guard that. Uh, you know, they had a waiting list, you know, of men trying to get in. Right, uh, but, right. uh, you know, compared to men like down, you know, like from Apache and Anadarko and Stecker, uh, Mountain View, uh, it, here in Lawton, you know, or Cash, Oklahoma, Indiahoma, you know, those men, they stood up and they joined up uh, when the war was going on, you know. So you got to that got to look at that perspective about us. So. Uh, yeah, Blasa. I'm curious to know, while you were in Vietnam and um, in active combat, did you serve with any other Native people in Vietnam? Actually, while in combat, um, there were there were Indians that uh, were in my unit that I didn't know at that time. Uh, no, yeah, there was one I met. Um, you know. Okay. Well, Bloss, we're going to talk more about that after our break here. We do have to take a short break. Folks, if you've got any questions or comments, again, we are honoring Vietnam War and Vietnam War era veterans today on Vietnam Era Veterans Day. The number to call, 1-800-996-2848 with your questions and comments. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we will be right back after a short break. Native Americans are well represented on the wrestling mat at the high school and college levels. The NCAA wrestling championships have just ended, and athletes and coaches are already eyeing prospects for next season. We'll hear about notable Native wrestlers to find out the appeal of wrestling for Native athletes on the next Native America Calling. Looking to get your high school diploma? Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute offers Native Americans ages 18 or older training and preparation courses for the high school equivalency diplomas, in person and online beginning May 4th. All attendance and testing fees for this program are waived, and resources will be available to help with supplies and living expenses. Space is limited. Application deadline is April 8th. More by calling 505-382-4287 or at sipi.edu who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're taking the hour today to recognize Native Vietnam-era veterans. It's National Vietnam Veterans Day. March 29th, 1973 marked the date when the last U.S. combat troops left Vietnam. If you are a Vietnam veteran or know one and would like to join our conversation, call in 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Before we went to break, we were talking with Blas Presidio, a Vietnam War veteran, and he was sharing information about fellow Native Americans that he served with in combat. Blas, could you tell us a little bit more about those Natives that you served with? 
Okay, I think Bloss has left us. Michael, thank you uh, again for bringing Bloss uh, into the show. I had a lot of great information. Michael, uh, you're also there at that event going on in Lawton, Oklahoma today. Can you tell us more about Mission 22 that um, that you serve with? Yes, uh, <clears throat> Mission 22 is a, a, a 5013C profit uh, organization for veteran suicide awareness so that our public know that our, our Soldiers out there are dealing with this PTSD, and we're a national organization that we reach out through all different 50 states to uh, combat this uh, pandemic that we're going through with our soldiers, old and young. Okay, so uh, tell us more. I mean, do a lot of these veterans have trouble accessing services and treatment for PTSD and, and some of these other um health issues that, that they have and can be attributed to their time spent in the military? Yeah, VA has such a bad back, uh, backlog right now that some of the veterans are taking their own lives because they can't wait. They need help now. And right now they're, they're just taking the guns and just biting the bullet. So it's, it's a pandemic that's just getting real serious, and, and the public needs to be aware of what they're doing. I mean, during the Vietnam time, you might have been two, two tours, three tours, but these young veterans are going five, six, seven deployments, and it's taking a toll on our youth. And so we need to cut back on some of our deployments for our soldiers to make sure that they get the help that they need. And so that's why Mission 22 has stepped up. Uh, and that's losing my son in 2015 in September to PTSD after he had served in Iraq, Afghanistan, Persia. Uh, then he lost his mother while he was in the Persian Gulf. Then he lost half of his graduating class, infantry school, in Fort Benning to Iraq and Afghanistan. So it takes a toll on these soldiers and stuff that they have to continue to fight and even carry on for their comrades and for their buddies. And so right. that was my mission you know, when I became the steward of the memorial. That they wanted me to find a, a permanent place for these uh Memorials. My son is one of the memorials of the 20 silhouettes. They're four foot by 10 foot, and they weigh a thousand pounds apiece. But they're all branches of service. I mean, this PTSD does not go after one service member. I mean, it could be combat, non-combat, uh, our women warriors, and everyone. I mean, it's affecting everybody in our armed forces. So it's a pandemic that that needs to be addressed through our Congress and stuff, as far as helping our vets and stuff. So that's why I became the steward of the memorial, and we're beginning ready to. To dedicate a, a national memorial here in Oklahoma, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, on June 11th at 10:30, and honoring these 20 soldiers that have gone on uh, to the next world. So we just want to make sure that they're never forgotten and that they're always remembered. And so we okay. want to reach out to the Gold Star families to let them know that hey, we're there for you. You know, you know, you don't have to ball up and get in a corner and isolate yourself. There's people out there that have already been through this, like myself. And we reach out to help these Coast Guard families to, to deal with the loss. I mean, no no father should have to bury the children, any children, you know. No, no, absolutely not. And speaking of fathers, let's bring in our, our next guest, Tanisha Mitchell. And Tanisha, your father was a Vietnam veteran. Would you mind telling us about him and, and his time overseas? Yes, my dad, Melvin Mitchell, he's here beside me. He served in 1969 to 71, 14 months straight in July. Vietnam. He was a gunner with the 23rd AmeriCal Infantry. And uh, hello? Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, I, I, we can hear you, Tanisha. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I heard the other oh. other line. Um, <laughs> That's okay. So my dad. So my dad, he was coined the name Mitch okay. in Vietnam, and he served several buddies. They went over together, okay. and two of them came back, and they left two behind, two buddies, friends that he had made from his hometown. And my dad suffered with drug and alcohol abuse. Okay. Once he came back, this was something that he never had an issue with. But while he was over there, that was his way of coping. That was how they stayed awake all day and all night. He said, you sleep with one eye open. And growing up, the, the drug and alcohol abuse was how he coped with his PTSD. He's been sober for 23 years. And he has sought help through the VA and the Indian clinics. And he had become a drug and alcohol abuse counselor. His diabetes, he has Agent Orange, which has made his diabetes worse. He's had lung cancer and multiple surgeries. So he is now technically disabled. And I have carried on this mission for my dad and those who've suffered with PTSD. A lot of people don't realize that's how they're coping with it. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations on his 23 years of sobriety. Does Does your dad talk about the war often? He talks about the war, his buddies. He doesn't talk about what they do over there. He was a gunner. That's not something that they're they're proud of exactly what they had to do, but they were doing it for us back here stateside. Um, he didn't talk about the war until he became sober. He didn't talk much about the war itself. He would talk about the, the partying and the things that they did, the, the things that doesn't bring him down, doesn't drag him down, but talking about the things that were depressing and saddening. You know, they were away from their moms, their dads, their brothers and sisters, they didn't get to eat mom's home-cooked food. There were no cell phones to call back home. Mail would take months to get to them. So by, if it was new news, by the time it got to them, it wasn't news anymore. Um, he, he talks about it more now. He's more comfortable talking about it with his brothers, which is why we host the events we do, is to get them back together and have that sense of brotherhood for them. And he's been a shoulder for other veterans. So you mentioned um, Agent Orange, lung cancer, PTSD. Over the years, do you feel that your father has has gotten adequate services and treatment for these issues for which he suffers from from serving in, in the Vietnam War? No. The, for the longest time, the VA was so backlogged. And when Dad was diagnosed with cancer, we decided to, they diagnosed him, but that was in April and it was, fast-growing cancer in his lungs, by the time we were able to get VA approval, it was we already had him signed up and scheduled for surgery. The morning of his surgery, when he was ready to be rolled back, is when the VA came through with his approval. But we went ahead and sought treatment ourselves. The diabetes, they just keep pushing insulin his way, pushing insulin his way, and he ended up bottoming out. There was not proper education. There is now proper education. The thing is, is a lot of your elders are not on social media. They don't know when things are going on. You don't see a lot of mailers and flyers like you used to because everything is, is on, on the internet. And a lot of our elders don't, they don't know the first thing about the internet. I remember when I taught my dad how to use Google, he said, what is this Google thing y'all are talking about? Now that he knows how to Google, he Googles everything. Uh, 
I made him get a cell phone so that I could keep in touch with him for when he started keeping my daughter. And that's, that's something that he's thoroughly enjoyed as being a grandpa. It's given him a new purpose in life. He's had, he has pretty much raised her since she was 11 months old when I returned to work. And he, that's his buddy. They go to Bass Pro, Harbor Freight. They go to the bank just to get a sucker. It gives him a purpose to get out and about. Without her, he was just sitting at home in his dungeon and didn't mm-hmm. want to socialize, didn't want to people. And the only time, it, it, you'll make him perk up real quick if you say something about a, a veteran event or a powwow or something like that. He'll get up and go because he's going to be around mm-hmm. his brothers and sisters that he was with, that he knew. And then in fact, this event here, he just ran into somebody uh, that was in the military that was kinfolk of his that he hasn't seen in over 50 years. Wow, wow. Tanisha, when you listen to your dad and he, he tells you stories um, from his time overseas in the military, how does it inform your view of the Vietnam War? What does it, what does it make you think? I feel like a lot of lives were lost unnecessarily uh, of our own men and women. Why, why did we lose so many lives and end the war the way that we did? Uh, I'm sure that all of the lives were lost. They gave them willingly. But at the same time, was it necessary to lose so many? And our, Do you get the f- I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, it's, it's sad and it's, it's, de- it's depressing to hear the stories, really. Because, you know, that's what he has to live with every day of his life. Us, who are stateside, we only just have a vision in our mind. But they proudly served. But they're also struggling with the war at home for the rest of their lives, which is the post-traumatic stress. Do you get the feeling that your father's experience is similar to other native Vietnam era veterans? Absolutely. When you get them together, they all talk about the same thing. Absolutely. Tanisha, do you know how many um, native veterans or, or natives from Oklahoma served during the Vietnam era? Do you have that number by chance? I'm just curious. Uh, Dad does. He's told me before. Dad, how many Native Americans from Oklahoma served in Vietnam? He said there's 226 on the wall, but he said there were over 200,000, but not just in Oklahoma. But 200, over 200,000 Native veterans serving during the Vietnam War, the Vietnam era. Okay. Wow. Well, well, thank you again, Tanisha, for all that great information and um, and, and give your dad a, a, a big big hug for us all because we really appreciate his service and and uh the sacrifices that he made on behalf of all native people and americans so really do appreciate that michael are you still there yes i'm still here okay michael i'm curious um native people have such high rates of enlisting in in the military both in in previous wars and even in contemporary times um why is that? Why do so many Native people, why are they compelled to, to join the military? Because it's we're, we're honorable warriors, and we're, when we serve, we, we honor our nation. That of all the different nations of 579 federal recognized tribes in the United States that we represent, uh, when we go to join up, we're, we're honoring our, our own sovereignty nation and the United States. So that's that's like a great greatest honor that you can bestow on a uh, Native American Indian. 
And so to go over there and serve your country and to come back, not looking for glory or anything, but just to be there to say that I served, that I signed my name on the dotted line. My father uh, signed in World War II in September of 1941 and ended up being on the Bataan Death March, uh, which next week uh, commemorates the 80th year of Bataan and Corregidor in the Philippines, uh, where they were left behind. Uh, my father endured all that harsh treatment, uh, hell shifts, uh, prison camps, slave labor, but he never gave up because he was a Native American warrior. And that his spirit, that spirit is what drives us. I mean, we, when one of our elders that goes on before us and has served, we want to follow in their footsteps. We want to be part of that group. That's what, that's what drives us as being Native. Now, you mentioned your father was a survivor of the Bataan Death March and obviously uh, was a big inspiration to you to serve in the military as well. Uh, what do you remember ab about what he used to say about his time serving there during World War II? Did he tell a lot of stories? What do you remember most? I remember him uh, when we lived in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, is that he would basically just go to our backyard and when he came back, because of the treatment that he received from the Japanese, uh, the doctor said that he had no, no nerves whatsoever. So he was like, we were like on pins and needles growing up around him. And so when he felt like he felt that desperation, he would run uh, to the backyard and sit underneath a tree where he would uh, regroup his thoughts and everything. So basically, uh, we just wanted to make sure uh, that he was okay and everything. And so when my time came. I thought it was my duty to go in and join the, the military. Uh, I wasn't as fortunate as the other Vietnam vets uh, that went overseas. Uh, I did have orders to go to Vietnam, but by the time I came home from my 30-day leave and got back to uh, Fort Bragg, they had changed my orders to the general staff. So I didn't know if because of what my father went through that they thought that our family had endured enough of my father being a POW that they changed my orders. But my son, uh, Michael Keith Coon, he decided that when he seen his grandfather's uh, combat infantry badge on his chest, he decided that he wanted to be part of that uh, group. So he told his grandfather that one day when he joined the military, he would have that uh, distinction on his chest. And sure enough, he had two of one from Iraq, Afghanistan. And so he's our third generation, and he was in 10 years. He was a squad leader, firefight team. Uh, my father was a 30 caliber machine gunner, and my and my son was a 50 caliber machine gunner, and also he was at Camp Irwin, uh, where he learned how to do tanks. So, with my part in my during my time, mine was being with the uh, airborne unit, uh, learning to jump out of five different aircraft. So we all we all had a certain purpose that we did in life, but we enjoyed our military as far as honoring our nation, our country. And that's basically what our Native Americans thrive for when we, when we sign on that dotted line. We don't look anything in return. It's just that we just want people to know that we serve proudly. Uh-huh. And, and, Michael, you shared some of your duties there as a Vietnam War era, era veteran. Uh, how long did you serve exactly? I served three years at Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg, North Carolina, right? Yes. Okay. I jumped out of uh, C-119, C-130, C-141, Hueys, and Chinooks, five different aircraft. Okay. 
Well, again, Michael, thank you for your service. Folks, uh, we are talking about Vietnam-era veterans, Vietnam War veterans as well. Over 9 million military personnel served on active duty during the official Vietnam era that lasted from August 5th, 1964 to May 7th, 1975. More than 2,700,000 Americans served in uniform in Vietnam, and we just heard from one of our guests, the father of one of our guests today, that over 200,000 of those in uniform were Native Americans. And 240 men were awarded the Medal of Honor during the Vietnam War as well. Well, if you have a question or a comment, listeners, please give us a holler if you just want to pay some respect and say some words of thanks to any of the veterans that we have on the show today or a veteran that you might know or have in your family, please reach out, give us a holler, 1-800-996-2848. That is the number to call. My name is Sean Spruce. You're listening to Native America Calling, and we'll be back right after this short break. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There's still time to get in on our conversation, so please give us a call and thank a Native Vietnam-era veteran. 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Let's bring our third guest into the show now, Walter Larney, a Vietnam veteran. Walter, you have a couple of medals from serving in Vietnam. Many of these recognize your experience in combat. Can you tell us a little bit about your time as a Marine Lance Corporal in Vietnam? Okay, uh, I was uh, uh, a grenadier, rifleman, and uh, radio operator, machine gunner, and team leader, point man. And I also did uh, demolition and uh, tunnel rack. Walter, how many tours of duty did you do there in Vietnam? Once. And Walter, how, how long was a tour of duty in Vietnam? I understand for different wars, the tours of duty might be different lengths of time, right? Yeah, also a year. About a year, okay. And, and I'm curious, Walter, and I've asked this of other um, combat veterans as well, were there ever times when you thought to yourself, holy cow, what did I get myself into? Well, there's a few times of that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, when you're under fire, you uh, there's a lot of things you uh, think of afterwards uh, been under fire. Uh-huh. You know, that, that's when uh, you start thinking what you got yourself into. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Walter, what is something that, that most people don't understand about the Vietnam War? Because now it's been, you know, it's almost been 50 years since, uh, it has been 50 years since the wars ended. And, and what is it you think most people don't understand about the Vietnam War and, and Vietnam veterans such as yourself? 
Well, the thing is that, uh, my opinion is that uh, there's a lot of them that uh, they uh, just thought of something out. Uh, 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 I was trying to think of the word, what I'm looking for. But uh, there's a, a lot of them that don't understand uh, or the Competent, uh, what the person has to go kind of train they had to do, and then uh, how long they're going to be gone, and they don't know if they're coming back or not. But uh, in my case, I uh, uh, went because uh, of uh, uh, five boys, I was the only one that went. And okay. uh, so you mentioned that the uncertainty of just not knowing what the future holds for you. And I, I, I just, you know, for somebody like myself who, who did not serve in the military, I just have so much respect and appreciation for you and all of the other uh, Native veterans as well and, and what you went for, what, what you went through on behalf of all of us. And, and I just can't imagine what that would have been like, really. It's just, just amazing to hear stories from, from folks such as yourself. We have a caller. On the line right now is Donald, and he's listening on KDLG in Bristol Bay Area, Alaska. Donald, you're on Native America Calling. Yes, uh, thank you for allowing me on. And Walter, uh, thank you for your service, and thank all of you for your service. Um, it's just amazing what, what's been accomplished. Um, my older brother uh, passed away two years ago. Um, he was a Vietnam veteran, and I didn't realize how important that was to him until we started going through his belongings after he passed. Um, I would encourage you to let your loved ones know, share whatever you can with them, um, you know, and walk proud, walk proud. You, you, you did your duty. You made it home. Um, some of you didn't make it home. But, you know, you're, you're forever in our hearts, and, and uh, bless you all, and, and thank you for your service to our country. Well, Donald, thank you for those warm words of appreciation for Walter and our other Native veterans on the show today. And, Walter, uh, our caller Donald mentioned that, you know, saving, making sure that these stories um, are heard, making sure that memorabilia and things like that are saved and cherished. So I'm curious, Walter, there with your own family, do you make it a point to to tell the, your younger relatives about the Vietnam War, about your experience and share some of the mementos and, and whatnot that you that you carry with you from from those times that you served overseas? Yeah, I did. And uh... I know I got, you know, I got uh, four daughters, and I, I try to explain uh, everything to them and everything to what I went through, stuff like that. Walter, and, when you, Walter, when your tours ended or your tour ended, what what was your experience like when you came back home? Loneliness. Did you get a lot of support, or were you, I mean, what was did did your family welcome you? Your community going back there to Oklahoma, um, what was the reception like? Well, actually, I didn't receive anything like that when I came home. As uh, yeah, my family and I 
really uh, greet me at, uh, when I got uh, got in town and everything. That's a uh, except for one friend of mine that uh, he's passed on. He's a Vietnam vet too. Well, I was in there before he was, and uh, he picked me up at the bus station. I was walking, leaving the bus station. I started walking down the street early in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and uh, he picked me up and uh, he took me on home to, uh, where I live, folks lived. And that was it. Just no parades, no celebrations, no ticker tape. Just a friend picking you up, driving you home. Yeah. Well, Walter, thank you again for your service. Again, I just can't say it enough. Really do appreciate all the sacrifices that you and, and the other veterans uh, have made on our behalf. Let's bring another guest into our show. Uh, he's joining us from Seminole, Oklahoma. His name is Gerald Williams, and he's a Cold War veteran, and he's Seminole. Gerald, thank you for being on our show today. Yes. And, uh, Gerald, the Vietnam War was was part of the Cold War, so so military were spread all over, including yourself. Where were you deployed from from your home in Oklahoma? There. Well, uh, I started my basic training in Fort Polk, Louisiana, which they call Tigerland, where most of the uh, Vietnam veterans did their training, went straight to Vietnam. But I, I was in uh, artillery. I was a a driver who was self propelled, and uh, I was an assistant gunner on that on the artillery piece. And uh, I did most of my time at Fort Seal. Then I reenlisted for uh, engineers which uh, my rank status fitted that uh, category, which I was a crane operator, putting flotilla bridges and stuff like that. But uh, my uh, my brother, he did two tours of Vietnam, and my dad was a World War II veteran in Aleutian Islands, and uh, I did... Uh, I did uh, a deployment for uh, when they took the Iran hostages, and then uh, I guarded Berlin Wall, the Roving, Roving Guard. I uh, uh, got shot at, you know, just uh, them, the Russians funding with us, you know, which I didn't like, because we couldn't fire back. And, uh, we, I spent uh, two years in uh, Germany and six six months before when they took our, our uh, hostages. And uh, most of the most of my drill sergeants were fresh back from Vietnam, and they was uh, oh, they was uh, <laughs> had pretty rough characters. And, uh, uh-huh. I did enjoy the military. That's why I re-enlisted. And uh, I enjoy my job title, both in artillery and 
and engineers. And uh, we did a lot of repelling out of the belly of a Huey, you know, into uh, uh, places where they couldn't get, you know, no sheets or nothing through. So we would open the road for them. And uh, I ran just about everything the military had as far as heavy equipment. Uh, I was proud to raise up and rank because uh, uh, my uh, uh, okay. brother, you know, didn't get too far up. Uh huh. My okay. youngest brother, he was uh, in the Marines and he was in the first Gulf War. And uh, he, uh, he was first to go to, he was in first division. And as far as, uh, I went everywhere. I went, uh, I went to Missouri to do training. I went to uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. I did my year training and they sent me to uh, NCL Academy. And then as soon as I got out, they put me to the board and I made my sergeant stripe and uh, I become a, a squad leader and then I got sent to Germany on a two-year on a company uh -huh. I was married. Okay. Well, Gerald, I'm just describing all of the duties and, and the places that you served. I mean, you mentioned the Iran hostage crisis even, so you just had uh, just a remarkable military career, and it just sounds like you were involved in a lot of uh, really exciting and interesting uh, periods of, of history. Just uh, fascinating, really. Folks, we still have time for a call. If you want to be that one person to get one more call into the show, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. And Gerald, I, I, I know you refer to yourself as still a soldier at heart. And Gerald, why do you feel that way? Because I served my country with honor, and I wanted, I wanted to serve, to be something more than just someone sitting back at home watching. And uh, you know, I, I want. Uh, I was a soldier then. I still feel like I'm a soldier now. And. and uh, if I could help some poor people in Ukraine, I'd be over there in a heartbeat. Would um, you? Yes, sir. Okay. And Gerald, what about um, for the other Native soldiers that that weren't able to come home safely? Um, now, reflecting back, it's been a number of years since your time in the military, but uh, those folks that never came home. What do you think? Uh, what do you think? How do you feel about about the sacrifices they made? Those are my brothers. They go to my heart, and uh, they made the ultimate sacrifice for us all, including myself as a soldier. And I still feel, you know, being in my heart that. Uh, we lost some good, good people, and 
I wish that, you know, come back to hands of time, they were still with us. But as far as that goes, you know, they're in my heart. And they was my brothers. They would they have had my back as well as I had theirs. But uh, I feel like, you know, it was a great loss to our country. And, you know, God has my blessing for them. And I really wish uh, it was different for, you know, it, it really uh-huh. when a lot of them was my kinfolk. Right, sure, sure. Well, Gerald, again, thank you, thank you for your for your service. And uh, Walter, I want to ask you, um, what what words of advice would you have for a young person today, male or female, that is interested in serving in the military? What advice would you give that person right now, today, in twenty twenty two? Well, I would say uh, stay in school and uh, get all the education you can. But when you go, if choose to go to the service, you take all kinds of schooling that you can uh, apply for. Because uh, there's a, uh, like uh, so nowadays, they uh, want to go to high-tech computers, stuff like that, learn that, and uh, when you get out, you probably have some kind of uh, education to fall into that field, computers and stuff like that. But when I was in there, we didn't have all this computerized stuff. And okay. uh, uh, there's a, one thing I was wanting to say is that uh, when we uh, we let all that stuff in uh, part of us there in Vietnam. Okay. See, my grand- grandfather was a war chief of that two Shawnees, and that's the one reason I went, you know, on the warrior side. Oh, okay. Well, pr- yeah. Thank you, thank you for, for, for sharing that insight as well, Walter. Much much appreciated. Folks, that's all the time we have for our show today. I'd like to thank our guests, Michael Kuhn, Tanisha Mitchell, Walter Larney, Blas Presidio, and Gerald Williams for sharing memories and stories from either their time spent in the military or time spent by a close family member. And most importantly, we want to thank them and all Native veterans for their service to our country and Native nations. Join us again tomorrow for a show about one of the world's oldest competitive sports, wrestling. Thanks for listening to Native America Calling. Are you Native American with a disability? and feel you have not been able to access services for you or a loved one? The Native American Disability Law Center can help. The Native American Disability Law Center is a not-for-profit 501c3, and there is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org. Who support this show? Support your health care team. Enroll in health care coverage today.
Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.